Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with John Ramstead, an executive leadership coach, international speaker, and host of one of Inc. Magazine's top leadership podcasts. And we'll be discussing executive coaching and how to develop a coaching organization. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here with you. Well, we're so happy to have you. Before we begin, can you share a little bit about your past and how you got into coaching and how you got into having a top leadership podcast? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I started out my career in the Navy as a fighter pilot. And then um, I got out of the Navy in 1995 and really couldn't find a job that I liked, uh, Peter. So I actually started my first tech company in 1996 and then ended up doing a succession of different and larger software and hardware companies, and then went to Wall Street. And then uh, that's what brought me out here to Denver, Colorado, where I live now. And it was in the fall of 2011. I was actually just starting our brand new uh, financial services firm. And I was involved in an accident that ended up putting me in the hospital for literally two years. I, ha- I broke almost every bone from my chest up, crushed my skull, 23 surgeries. It was a very long recovery. I had a severe traumatic brain injury. And the only way I, I mean, got through that was, you know, God's intervention. Uh, just be honest with you. We can talk about that if you'd like. But think about this, right? I need to support my family. And I can literally work eight to 10 hours a week. That is it. I'm in chronic pain. I have fatigue from the brain injury. And I actually start taking inventory of everything that I've done in the military and in business, building teams, building companies and organizations. And I was actually sitting down with a friend of mine. He's a CEO of a company. And he was like, man, here's these huge issues in in our company, in my marriage, and other things going on in my life. And I feel like I should be able to excel at all these but I'm not there. And he goes, I'm going to hire a coach. He goes, John, you really should consider being a coach because if you do, I'll be your first client. I'm like, Greg, that's awesome. What's a coach? (laughs) Right? So that actually started this journey where I reached out to some people I know that were very successful executive coaches to see if uh, get their thoughts. And what I realized was talking with them is that what I've been doing my entire life has always been from a coach approach. I think that's why I've been able to get, honestly, some of the results that I've been able to get. And so what was clear to me is I was actually going to move out and work with individuals to help them just bring out the best in themselves, their teams, and their organizations from an approach that I've actually been doing for 30 years but hadn't really called it coaching. Can you you dive into that? I mean, is that – was that – from back in the Navy, because I know you were one of the few people who had qualified to enter Top Gun, and, and that's a major feat in amongst you know all the, the business feats you know you have done since then. But how did, do you have any examples of how you've sort of been a coach and not really been able to call it a coach? Well, how about this? Let me share with you the first time I realized I was actually coached because that laid the foundation because it was so effective to how I worked with others. I'll never forget, we were going into the Persian Gulf for Operation Desert Storm. This is back in 1990, 91. It was a long time ago. Anyway, we had just, I was new in the squadron. We had just come out of doing work with the Royal Australian Air Force. I was an F-14 pilot. And I got to tell you, Peter, I did not do well. I lost most of my engagements, my dogfighting. We call it air combat maneuvering engagements. Uh, 
And it was a little, I was frustrated. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be in combat in a few months and I don't want to let the people down around me. So uh, there was a guy in our squadron who was not very approachable. I'll just tell you that. And he used to drink like he was on, uh, you know, smoke like he was on fire and drink like he was trying to put it out. I mean, this guy was a hard charger, so to speak. But I went up to him and I said, "Will you, and he, but he was the best pilot in the entire air wing. And I went up to him and I said, would you teach me how to fight the Tomcat? And he looked at me and he goes, no, but I'll fly with you. And then he walked away. So fast forward, we're up in the air. We get together. We come together head to head. I do my best. I literally, now think about this. He was behind me with a firing solution within 30 seconds. I'm like, how does he do that? So we did six engagements until we were low on fuel and he won every single one of them. And I'm flying back to the ship to land on the carrier. I'm dreading this debrief because we always do it in public, right? It's a big learning. It's a very kind of vulnerable place because that's how we all learn. And I sit down with him across from him. I've never really flown with him before. And he never once, Peter, told me what to do or how to do it. Think about this. So he said, okay, John. We came together for that first merge and you went nose low across my tail. What is the reason that you did that? I'm like, that's my opening move. Honestly, I had no other better answer than that. He's like, okay, what did you do next? When I was here, what were you thinking my game plan was? What did you think our energy states were? You know, what was your thought? Like he had the entire choreograph of this I mean, dogfighting is like playing three-dimensional chess at 400 miles an hour. And every time you maneuver, the chessboard changes. So it's very dynamic. In his memory, he recalled like every little piece of it. I wanted him to tell me what to do, but he forced me to take all my experience, all my training and everything that I'd ever done in an airplane and actually apply it in the moment and actually start thinking differently. And instead of reacting, actually now start being proactive and at the end of three months of flying with him a few times, I actually was one of the best fighter pilots in the air wing. And so that was my first experience. I could, uh, Peter, I never beat him, by the way. I just want to make that clear. But my last flight with him, he never beat me. We stayed neutral the whole time. And for me, that was like this huge victory. But that really is what coaching is. It's about drawing out from somebody their experience, their training, their skills, their knowledge, their understanding of themselves, the environment around them, taking ownership of it and then applying it to get results that are important to the organization, right? And in mentorship is about giving people information. So I think really good kind of leadership coaching or working with a leader is a bit of a combination of both of those because I might be working with a leader and I realize, you know what, they've never really done something before. There's a gap in either their knowledge or their experience or their familiarity with tools in their environment. So there might have to be some training or equipping that goes on. But as soon as I've given them that training, then I want to move back into a coaching mode because I want them to learn how to take that knowledge and apply it and turn it into their own experience because that is when people are empowered and that is also a process through which we can delegate successfully. I think a lot of people in business do not know actually how to delegate in a way that builds people up and creates ownership and responsibility and reduces the burden on the leader who in most cases is the shell answer man because 
They've created this dependency because everybody goes to them for either the answer or to be told what to do next. So that's how I got into it. So we talked about two definitions there, but I mean, so first of all, I mean, as far as a coach, in order to be coached, you have to really want to be coached. You want to be able to solve issues. You want to be able to figure out something and be on your own. So really in order to be an effective coach, you need to be working with people who want to be coached and they want to be able to realize that outcome. But then I also I like the way you brought in mentoring because mentoring is a big thing these days. And, and there is some confusion sometimes on the difference between a coach and a mentor. And the way you just frame that up, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's more of if you need to develop a little bit of the backstory, if you need to really understand how these dots are connected and how the project gets put together, the history of this and sort of bring someone's experience to bear. But once they're up to that stage and they sort of understand what their roles are, what they're supposed to be doing, then we switch into coach mode. Correct. And think about this, right? Like the leaders I work with, you know, I've been really fortunate to work with leaders at the highest levels of government in the military, CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, you know, down to small startups and nonprofits. It's, I just love the people I get to work with. But now let's think about this. Let's say you're a, a, a mid-level manager, right? You're managing a team or so I call that a first level supervisor, or what if you're second level, you're now, you just moved into a role where you're now, all your direct reports are actually managers, they're department heads, right? There's, at all these different phases, there's different needs, but if I'm an employee, and let's say, Peter, I'm working for you, right? You know, especially for Gen Y, the millennials, and Gen Z, the group coming underneath them, they want to feel appreciated, they want to feel like the work they're doing is meaningful and how it connects with their own personal values and the values of the organization. They want to know what success looks like. I got to tell you, I'm 53. There's a lot of people my age that do not know how to really work well with this younger generation. One of their deep needs is to be mentored, to be taught leadership skills. They know that there are skills that they're still learning that college has not given them. We have this whole concept, my generation, I'm a Gen X, right, of this work-life balance, that they're separate. I, I think that's kind of a false construct, but that's really common language. The younger generations, that is not even part of their vernacular because everything is woven together. They're sitting there on a break pulling up Instagram or Snapchat and planning what they're going to do tonight, and they're going to be, they're very inclusive. They're going to include their coworkers if they have a good relation. I mean, so everything's woven together. So what they want, right, is to do good work, to be valued, right, and enjoy and also see how it all fits in their whole life. So what they need, so that's what they want. What I think that they need that we can give them as leaders is coaching. That is what I have seen personally that connects that absolutely the fastest, that develops people. And that's my job as a leader is to develop everybody around me. So here's my benchmark, Peter, that's been there for quite a while. It's aspirational. And that is when I am leading somebody, I'm developing them so that they're completely empowered. If I am answering a question or telling somebody what to do, then I am managing that person or that process. My goal as a leader, even when I was younger, was to always be in that leadership role. 
Now, I couldn't always do that. You might come to me and I have to tell you how to do something or give you some coaching maybe on some a blind spot you have with either coworkers or clients or internally. So we're going to work on those things. But that is, whenever I see that, I want to always try to, my, I aspire to always be in that leadership role. Whenever I'm managing, that is feedback to me that I need to do more work with my people. And just as an example, I'll never forget this. When I first worked, I was a, a manager for a, a Fortune 50 technology company. I had a, about a $400 million P&L that I was responsible for. My boss, I remember, had about 12 direct reports. He was in charge of a massive P&L across the entire U.S. and global. But do you know, it was so important for him to develop his people. And I know how busy he was. The guy was on a plane. I mean, I, every time I spoke with him every week, he was in a different city. He made it an absolute priority to have at least three 30 to 45 minute coaching conversations with me every single month. I always knew, even if I knew that I needed to get better or I hadn't done well or did really well, I always knew where I stood. I always had two or three goals that we had co-created that we were working on together. Some were personal, some were with my team, some were around, you know, the dynamics of how to collaborate across multiple departments that had to work together to get certain projects done, large projects. And I got to tell you, what that communicated to me is this guy cares about me as a person and my development as much as he cares about his job and the organizational goals. So it sounds like, I mean, I think this is hitting on sort of the, the reason why we have so many sort of organizational issues today. So, I mean, what you just described is, Leaders need to manage too. And, you know, there's so much been written and so much, you know, glory in a way and in leadership and leadership development. And I think we're coming up the curve on that. I mean, leadership is really understanding the outcomes that need to be made, inspiring people to achieve those outcomes, and then providing the resources to make that happen, you know, through managers and teams. But, you know, I think where that falls short is that, you know, managers, I mean, leaders aren't really managing the managers to be able to engage them. And I think, you know, you, you look at the phenomena of, you know, two thirds of employees are not engaged in that fall. And then, you know, Gallup's, you know, single most profound finding that they have is that, you know, 70% of the variance of employee engagement is someone's direct supervisor or manager. So you sort of have that as an issue. And so managers, you know, need to engage and inspire their people. But yet Gallup also reports that two thirds of managers are not engaged themselves. And I think maybe that's the disconnect because it's a little bit of a math problem. You have disengaged managers trying to engage and inspire employees. And I think maybe, and correct me if you see it differently or if you have another opinion on this, but possibly it's leaders sort of focusing on leadership and leaders not managing their people because if they're not managing their managers, they're really not teaching those coaching skills because management does come down to coaching. What I see when I work with so many teams across, and I love working with teams, but people are very task oriented, right? Think about where you came from, the service industry, doing consulting, the kind of a work that has always been your bread and butter, man. You look at what you have to get done, right? It is sometimes can be overwhelming. And so we focus on the transactional side of work. 
what we're talking about here is actually bring that in balance with the relational side of work, right? It's the emotional intelligence. There was a study out of Stanford Graduate School. They actually studied a thousand leaders, Peter, across every industry, uh, you know, business, technology, government, religion. I mean, they looked at everybody everywhere, like who was effective and your personality, introvert, extrovert, gregarious, not likable, honestly was not even a factor. They were looking for, is there that one thing? And what they found is there actually was one thing. And that one thing was self-awareness. And that is understanding really kind of who you are, how you think, what are your mindsets, how you're showing up with different people. I'm working with an executive of a company right now. He has amazing relationships with half his team and the other half of his team think that he doesn't like them at all. And the part of it is this one person is very good at working with people that are similar to him, people that are not similar to him. He doesn't mean to do this, but how he's coming across. So this area is called self-awareness, which is the first step in emotional intelligence. And here's the great thing is if we can actually start to balance this out, what I have seen personally is we can create a culture, whether it's, you know, honestly, heavy construction or consulting, manufacturing or a doctor's office, where we are attracting amazing people. We are developing them in a way that they're excited about. And then we're keeping them for a longer period of time. I think uh, the last stat I saw was the average uh, Gen Z and millennial. I think their average tenure at a job is only 14 or 15 months. But here's something else crazy. The average Gen Xer, guys our age, do you know their average tenure right now is only 19 months? I think it's because cultures and organizations are hard to stomach, right? And I used to say, people don't leave a job, they leave a person, right? They leave that one boss. And that's no longer the case. You, I might love working for you, but I'm looking at your peers who are other managers and how they're treating my friends. I'm looking at how things are communicated. I look at policies and I might leave a culture just as fast as I might, re- if I have a good boss, as, as quickly as I might leave a cult, uh, an organization because I have a bad boss. So this younger generation, they're not going to put up with it because guess what? In this environment, they don't have to. Everybody's hiring right now and good talent, people that have technical and people skills, you're going to go get a job like that. Right. And I think that, I mean, you nailed it with culture. I mean, that's what I hear time and time again. It is about the mission of the organization and the, the culture and how thing, uh, how people are treated. And, and it is, I mean, I think people are managers and employees are craving those technical skills through training. And, and in the sense of it's like the scope, schedule, and budget, how do I get the job done? But the real need in organizations is, are those people skills? And so, I mean, I think there is a move. I think people, organizations are recognizing, I mean, how do you move forward with it? So, I mean, it gets into like developing a coaching organization. I mean, what, like you mentioned, you work with high levels of of government agencies and top Fortune 100 companies. I mean, what do you think that looks like as far as if leadership says, we want to develop a coaching organization, what are some of the first steps that they take? Do they need to sort of train their leaders to have that mindset of coaching and talk about its ROI and importance and and then move forward? I mean, or do you think it's most people understand the ROI? Well, yeah, let me start with the ROI because uh, I have a whole bunch of anecdotal evidence and I can share with you a number of things, but uh, Burson and Associates recently came out. They actually went and researched organizations that have a coaching culture, self-reported coaching culture, and ones that don't. 
And here's the side-by-side. -side. The business performance was 21% higher for organizations in which managers coached effectively and frequently. Now think about that, okay? Organizations that prepared management level two coach were 130% more likely to realize stronger business results and they had 33% um, higher level of engagement. You talked about engagement earlier. People were wondering how to crack the code. Guess what? Let's start treating people like humans and developing them and having some conversations that we need to have. Also, overall, if I just looked uh, not just in the, that manager's organization, but overall, they actually had about a 39% higher productivity so that engagement led to higher productivity. Now think about that. We have an economy right now where sometimes it's hard to find that next great person. What if you right now could just free up 40% more productivity of people who love to be at your shop? You just got 40% more full-time equivalent employees, FTEs. I literally think that organizations could probably do that in about a 90-day period. So here's how you start. Yes, that. I believe that you have to, it starts with the senior leadership. If this is just a program you want to bring in, I actually just turned down a company because they're having real problems. They wanted me to come in and just work with their first level management team. They have a lot of turnover. They do mission critical work. It's very important work. The stuff they do, it's a very large company. But their managers and the managers above them had no interest in being part of this process. So I said, that's not a good fit for me because it's going to fail. It's going to be, I'm going to come in. These guys are going to be excited about it. Nobody above them is going to be interacting this way. They're going to be frustrated. I honestly think if we did it that way, I would actually make it worse. So I, they wanted to pay me my full fee to come in and do all this work. And I said, I'm not the person to do that for you. Yeah. So, I guess that's across industries, right? I mean, it starts at the top. It, if, if leaders need to want to make change happen and be able to model the behaviors in the organization, I suspect that that's a piece of it. Well, it is. And guess what? Here's the good news I think about coaching. This isn't about learning a whole new skill. This is actually about taking what, I mean, I'll guarantee you the people out there listening right now, they definitely had success. I know the tremendous success you've had in your career. We all have a lot of stuff that we do actually really well. What we're talking about is actually building on that and now communicating and working with people that still honors our experience, what's worked for us in the past and our values, but doing it a little bit differently. So what I have to do first is this does have to be worked with the senior leaders. I would tell them, you know, we need to start out at that level. And then as we're going to do this, we do have to follow through. And guess what? You know, I used to have a, a boss that has an open door policy. But if I tell you what, if I went in there and he was having a bad day or he was under pressure, trust me, it wasn't a door that, an open door that I should have walked through. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I wish the door was only open when he was actually approachable. But if we're going to actually work with people from a coaching approach, which means that we're going to be working to do three things. A, we're going to teach them. So I have to make sure, let's say I'm working for you. You have to, it's your job as a leader to make sure I have the knowledge I need to do my job well, both the technical skills and I think the people skills, right? Like if I'm in operations, I need to be able to interface with guys in production or sales 
or logistics who have different managers. I don't have any control over them, okay? But I might not have the people skills to do that well. You know what, we need to follow up on this because I think if we allow, when people see us working to do this, and guess what, there's gonna be days where we fall back on old habits, we have a bad day, you know, we're not coaching, we're not giving feedback in a, in a good way, but I can go to you and say, hey Peter, you know what, I really wanna follow through on that coaching, on the work with you that, you know, I kind of fell back into an old habit. You can hold me accountable. The people that I see doing that are honestly organizations that are crushing it. And just as an overall thought, this is something I believe right now is sitting down with the chief operating officer of the MGM Grand, you know, where the big shooting was, right? And they've had to recover from this, think about this, uh, not only the human side of it also, but, you know, the business side. He said something to me that just rang so true. He said, you know, we're in a time where the pace of change is accelerating and it's continuing to accelerate. And I just felt like that is so true with all the changes in our culture, how we communicate our generations. And he said the organizations that know how to actually thrive in this accelerated pace of change are the ones that are going to dominate even if there's other companies that have a better good product or service than them, they're going to fall by the wayside if they can't keep up with change. And we were talking about coaching and he felt that was the best way to address it. So what do you think? I mean, you're working with top organizations and and when we've spoken before, I mean, you've relayed that there's significant investment in, in top level talent And if someone doesn't get assigned an executive coach, they're maybe not the high potential they thought they were, or they're not on the fast track. And that really the top talent, it's a badge of honor and it's a sort of an essential component in order to be successful in the organization. So if you don't have a coach, that's a red flag, but but you really want a coach. I mean, can you talk about that and how some of these top organizations approach executive coaching? Well, I think you're bringing up a great point. The, uh, These large organizations, it used to be five, 10 years ago that if you got a coach, you were basically on the get well plan, right? Like, oh, Ramsed's got a coach. Uh Uh-oh, yeah, that makes sense. The guy can be a real jerk. Now, like you said, this is in most companies that I work with, actually all of them, see this as an executive benefit. I want to take my highest potential leader, somebody who's a senior vice president, who we want to move to be an executive vice president and we want to get him ready to assume that kind of role. You know, the collaboration that it takes, the strategic thinking, the decision-making, that person's ability, him or her, to really develop the people underneath them, right? And doing that as from a coaching perspective. Now, just as an example, like how we implement this, this is what we do when we come into an organization we actually do kind of a two to three day intensive workshop, depending on kind of the pace of that organization, on actually how to coach, how to actually as a manager develop a actual coaching plan for somebody. You talked about earlier, what if somebody doesn't want coaching? Part of that is, let's say I've been working for you for five years. And now all of a sudden you went to this coaching class and you want to coach me. Well, that's kind of an awkward conversation. We even actually help people with that. So we're going to actually role play Hey, Peter, when you go sit down with John, how do you even have that conversation to let John know that this is actually something you want to do because of his potential, it benefits the organization, 
right? And how, what it looks like, what are our goals going to be? So we're, we equip everybody with an entire process, what the skills are. They come out of there with an actual coaching plan for one individual. We use that as a model. And then we follow up with this group every month. We do a group coaching session with them for the managers, because this is kind of adding in, you know, you're doing some things differently. Right? This is creating some change. So then we follow up with a group of these managers and they talk about, hey, what went well? What didn't go well? What did I learn? We reinforce some of the key coaching skills, question asking, feedback, some of these different things. And now, and then what happens is oftentimes we'll be brought into, let's say one department, the leadership is sponsoring it. We bring into one department. All of a sudden the other departments are going, man, what is going on there? Because that is they are so much more enjoyable to work with. We're getting so much more work done. Can we do what they're doing? And what I like about that approach, because I've shifted, Peter, I used to want to come in and be the external coach. It was great for our team, to be honest with you, to be doing all this coaching for individuals. I didn't think over time looking at it, this wasn't healthy for that organization. What they need to do is bring somebody in who has the expertise to do a transfer of knowledge to create in internal coaches. So if I can help their managers, you know, lead and manage from a coaching perspective and I can transfer that skill and then I can just come in occasionally to kind of either check in or coach a few of the key leaders that are really sponsoring some of this change. That is so much healthier for an organization. One of the clients I work with, everybody in this 100,000 person company has access to a coach. They believe in it so much. They have a small bench of external executive coaches that just work with their senior executive. So, you know, they might have some things they don't want to share with somebody internally. So having an outside perspective is good, but that's a, that's a small bench and that has been uh, really good. So that would be one of the key things I think of implementing it is actually don't rely on external training resources. Right. right. Well, and then I want to get back to how, you, how an organization starts with maybe the one or two individuals at the top that get into coaching. But I mean, but to your point, if you're going to develop a coaching organization and sort of have your team be able to coach, I mean, it does, you, you start with one department, one cohort of senior vice presidents or, or principals or project managers with the support of leadership and it cascades. So it cascades down because those managers are coaching and then they're teaching those skills. And then as people move into the organization, that helps. But then the example you just shared of, well, another division now is interested in that. So now it spreads horizontally. And so it really is sort of that it cascades and it sort of ripples out once you develop that internal, well, first mindset, second skill set. But for the organization, so in the AEC space, there's, there's a lot of smaller organizations. There's mm-hmm. organizations that have, you know, 10 to 30 employees and, and then, a, you know, a group that's maybe 100, 200, and even some up to 600 or 1,000. I mean, and there's some really large organizations, but a lot of them are smaller professional services. And the leader often is involved with the work. I mean, they're the reason the organization gets the work or a significant piece of that. And it's their reputation. And there are a lot of technical centric folks. And they're really in this, they come in the business for the work to serve society, to serve others. And it's very busy. It's busy all the time. And you sort of learned the technical and then sort of learn the manage, learn the lead, but it's busy and consuming. And I run the leaders all the time that are like, well, it would be great to have a coach. I don't have time to have one. And there's a hesitation. And I, I don't, can you speak to, have you 
spoken with leaders and organizations that might be smaller, you know, again, you know, a couple dozen people or even just a few hundred that the leadership hesitates to get a personal coach first and then sort of invest in coaches for the management team. Well, yeah, I think, you know, that's trying to think of the best way to answer that because I've been there, right? I've been at a startup. I understood that. So that busyness you're talking about, I mean, I've been at, you know, a startup, my, uh, when we did a data mining software startup, I literally was working 80 hours a week. So here's the question. I think maybe the people listening to that need to answer themselves. Was that your goal? To be so busy that you don't have an hour every two weeks to focus on yourself, your development, how what you're doing at work is maybe affecting your family as a husband or wife, mother or father, the relationship you have with your employees, the direction you're going in. I tell you what, the other big part of it too is when you're in that hairball, Peter, is a small company when you feel like you have to do everything. There's also very few people for you to really talk to, right? If you're the CEO or the founder, are you going to go to your direct report team and say, man, I got some real doubts on either the direction we're going or this aspect of a product or, you know, this hiring decision or this firing decision, right? You might have a board and sometimes going to the board, they have different expectations. They put money into your organization. I got to tell you, one of the biggest things for me when I was running a business and had a coach is having somebody outside of my organization where I had a conversation that was completely confidential because that's what coaching is, 100%. The only time I would ever, nobody even knows my client's names and the only time I would ever have to reveal something if I ever got subpoenaed because it's not a doctor, you know, like lawyer, doctor privilege thing, but I treat it as if. How would you like to have somebody you could just go talk to to say, you know what, I need somebody to really process this. I need to go have a really difficult conversation with my partner because, man, this partnership is not working out. Those are some of the most difficult conversations when two people want to go a different direction. Anyway, you were about to say something. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it really gets to the point of there's a lot of pressure and sometimes kind of you could put off dealing with some of the tough things that might need to happen. But I think it's also loneliness. I mean, a lot of leaders that I know, I mean, it is lonely. I mean, exactly what you said. You can't necessarily talk to your peers about certain things. You can't necessarily talk to your boss if you're a CEO, can't talk to your board if you're on the board. Might not, or leadership team might not be able to talk to your CEO, but it is lonely in some of those issues. Particularly, Yeah, like what if so you're a new manager, right? Let's just say you just trusted me and put me in as a new manager and I don't want to let you down, but let's say I have a coach, right? Because I am really trying to meet your expectations. Let's say I'm, you know, I'm all in, right? I want to always have my best foot and my best face forward and having somebody that I can do to help me shape that. Or guess what? Maybe I don't have a skill of maybe going to you and actually soliciting feedback. Maybe, you know, there are some people just, we're not good at, you know, receiving feedback or acting on it. And maybe I realize that that's actually something I'm working through. A coach can help somebody completely reshape their relationship with their boss, even if it's a really difficult boss. I've had some, you probably have too, man. I've had some horrible bosses, honestly, But I always showed up with a mindset and said, you know what, I'm going to be the best follower. And while I'm here, even if this is setting me up for what's next, quite frankly, I'm going to be all in. And I had, you know, people help me with that. 
But you know what you're talking about here is really kind of this area of feedback. Now, this is something I think coaching does really well. If you think about it, you know, a lot of small organizations, we get too busy. We don't have time to give people feedback because we're just running and gunning constantly. Big organizations, you have the annual review. You cannot develop and manage somebody on that. I understand how that's an HR requirement. I think 360s, they're so infrequent, it doesn't really change behavior unless it's really integrated with some really intentional coaching, which it usually isn't. But think about this. Let's just say day-to-day interaction, you watch me in a meeting. Like, wow, ooh, that was a little crunchy. He was a little bit insensitive to somebody over here. That really could have come across probably not the way John intended it. Or maybe I'm just consistently a little bit late or unaccountable with things, but overall I'm really good. Coaching allows us to almost have these spot coaching moments, especially when we develop these skills, to give feedback in a timely way so they're remembering that event and then incorporating their that feedback into what they're learning and then using the coaching so they can take ownership and making some changes. Well, I think my experience too is that, you know, the coaching with an executive really does sort of increase that self-awareness and Mm -hmm. the emotional intelligence. So people over time, the executive has more awareness in meetings and maybe comes back and, and asks for feedback and they're able to recognize things a little bit more. I mean, but I think that feedback, for the executive is is critical for their growth. And there is the phenomena of, is the leader really getting the right feedback? Yeah, or, I mean, think about this. What if you're you're my sales manager and you just overheard me on a call with somebody, kind of get a little bit short, right? But I have this culture of coaching and and you're coaching me to be better at my job in my cube. And then you come up to you and go, hey, John, can we, you know, have a quick little sidebar? Hey, I overheard that conversation what was going on there? You know, what kind of triggered you to, you know, use that tone of voice? You don't usually do that. You're just having a bad day or is a certain kind of person. Well, maybe what you've noticed over time is some behavior that I have that's really not serving me well in that role and also not helping me be as productive as I need to be. Or maybe you just notice that I'm, you know, all just totally kind of distant and removed in certain situations. Is there something in there that like we, uh, just as an example, we were doing some coaching. There was a guy that uh, was working on one of my client's teams in software development. And the guy was absolute, one of the most painful introverts. This is how he came across to everybody. A uh, little bit awkward, didn't have good relationships with his, his peers, but you gave him a project, Peter, and the guy crushed it. So guess what happens? He now starts to get all the challenging projects. So he's starting to get burned out. So we brought in a coach approach into this organization and in some of the questions are like, the guy didn't want to talk about it um, in kind of setting up some of the formal goals with the coaching, but it was after one of these meetings, his supervisor pulled him aside and said, hey, I just noticed in that meeting, you didn't engage at all. And I know some of this was your area of expertise. You know, you mind if I ask, hey, what was going through your head in that moment? And he shared some of these things. And, and the guy said, well, what would you like it to look like? He goes, honestly, I'd really like to have good relationships. So he goes, what's one thing that you might be able to do 
to actually start liking people. Like he was afraid of people and a whole bunch of stuff in his life. Well, here's what he came up with on his own. Not that his boss assigned him was that on his bus on the way to work every day, he was actually going to smile at one person and just say hello for him. That was so far out of the comfort zone that to him was a stretch goal. Guess what? At the end of the month, his boss checks in with him. He goes, I failed. And he's all smiles. I'm like, okay, well, you're smiling. And his boss was like, well, what happened? He goes, well, I actually said hi to 21 people. And I had two conversations. Can I tell you what today? Do you know that he is now the department lead? He speaks on behalf of that company. The guy is crushing it professionally. And he will credit back that manager taking interest in him personally and helping him develop in an area that he had fears around. And when he had some personal breakthroughs, he just kept taking small steps forward. And now he's a huge asset for this company and his life is more rich and more full. So, I mean, it, it comes from, I mean, it just it, it kind of linking. I mean, we talked about culture, how people are really have an affinity for culture and might leave a great boss and a great organization. Well, great job and a great boss if the culture isn't quite there. But I mean, it seems like, you know, developing that coaching mindset, that coaching culture, there's peer-to-peer interactions. You might look over the cube and say, you know, I notice something's different and, and sort of be able to help people that way. So there's that incidental contact that happens in engaged cultures, but it's really, it shows that you care. These people's skills are really about caring for people, which ultimately, it, those are the behaviors that drive culture. Yeah, well, well, here's another example because I, you know, I love stories. Actually, this just happened this morning uh, with one of my. He's a newer client. He's in his early 30s. He was promoted because of his background in education ahead of a lot of the people around him. So two thirds of the people that work for him are 10 or 20 years older than him, Peter. So think about this. Yesterday, he was telling me this this morning. Somebody came up to him and said, hey, this is wrong with the project, this and this and this, right? This situation happened, this happened, this happened. And so immediately, he knows exactly how he would handle it. And in the past, he's always been very directive, like, okay, you know, hey, Bob, go do, you know, this is the plan, do this, do this. I want you to call this person. We're going to shut down that line, move this equipment over here to double the shifts on this line. And for the first time ever, he looked at this guy who was older than him who he'd kind of always felt like there was a little bit of tension there because he reports to him now and said, let me ask you a question. What would you do? So that's starting to get to a place of, you know, being a little bit, you know, some humility into his work. You know, we've worked on the fact that he does not need to be the expert because these guys have been working in this company for literally 20 years. They're experts, but you got to figure out how to help them do their job in alignment with what the organization needs. The guy goes, well, I'll do this, 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 and this. And he's thinking that's exactly what I would have told him to do. So he looks at him and says, you know what? That sounds like a fantastic plan. You know, do you need anything at all for me to go do that? And the guy goes, no, I think I got it covered then. And so he said to his employee, then let it rip and let me check in with you this afternoon and I'll see how it goes. He was so excited because he goes, listen, that guy walked away. Like you could see like the energy in his step. He owned it and he got all this work done, a lot of detail stuff done in about half the time that he normally does some change orders and things like that in the environment. And that all came from a coach approach by giving somebody ownership. It's their idea. Now, if it wasn't a good idea, you could ask some questions to refine it, but then it's still their idea and they have ownership. But those are just a couple examples of 
and you have kind of the formal coaching where we're sitting down. We also teach you all how to do some of that spot coaching, using coaching to really give feedback, to develop people. So a lot of it is really about asking some of the hard questions, both of individuals, of our strategy, of our culture, but then figuring out what do we actually do that's not a fad, it's not a project to do that we're actually going to, you know, systemically make some changes to get, you know, to create this an extraordinary place to work. So, I mean, just kind of, I mean, kind of bringing things, you know, full circle from what we talked about. I mean, you know, coaching, it's really not a soft skill. I mean, it, it's people skills. It's an essential skill. It's really what's necessary with the pace of change in business. And, you know, a lot of professionals and, and leaders, you know, are smart people. They, they in, with time, they probably could figure things out for themselves if they sort of stop the urgent and focus on the important but with the speed of change so much, it seems like the coach will allow us to not miss an opportunity like that. May, that what the example you just shared, that could lead to probably, you know, maybe disempowerment or disengagement. I don't know, I'm going to do what you tell me to do, which really kind of hurts all party and sort of cuts at the culture. But really, it's this with coaching, it's the speed of engagement and the speed of business that allows things to happen maybe differently than they otherwise would have the first time or certainly, you know, uh, much faster down the road. Well, you know, it makes me think that business, like that business owner who you said who doesn't have the time, I'd be willing to bet if I walked around with him all day long, his employees are coming up to him, asking questions, they need guidance, they need direction, they need approval for certain things. He has put himself, because I know I've done this myself, I was the constraint for my organization's growth. And guess what? When I put myself in that place of being the shell answer man for everybody, I also created dependencies because guess what? Everybody knows they don't really have to think too hard because if they come to John with a problem, I'm going to sit there and go up to the whiteboard and lay out what I think they need to do next. And when I shifted and started working with people from a coaching perspective, honestly, I'll, I'll never forget. I was working literally 80 hours a week. I was on vacation. My family just started leaving me alone because literally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, my phone was ringing all day long from everybody. And after the second year of basically my one week vacation, really getting a day of rest, I realized I have to make some changes. And I had to slow down and figure out what those changes were in order to speed up. And in doing that, Peter, I got my life back. And I had so much more fun being an entrepreneur when I, that was actually where everything came together for me, where I shifted and said, I need to actually focus on leading and not managing. That's actually where that came from. Right. So, I mean, I super appreciate the conversation today and you just sharing your just immense insight on leadership and coaching and um, really from coaching from a leadership, from a leader perspective, an individual perspective, but then, you know, coaching within the organization, because I think there is a very clear ROI and I think there's an interest in doing it, but for some organizations, they just have to get over the hurdle. Certainly speaking with someone like you, with your experience, directly, personally, and your experience working with the top organizations, you know, in the country and around the world, I think, you know, hopefully that's inspirational, you know, for folks to be able to look a little bit more into coaching and be able to take that step. Because when a leader changes, it starts that ripple effect. I think, you know, cascading down through. And that's fun. You know, when things like are getting gooder, (laughs) right? And your employees are starting to look forward to coming into work on Monday, 
and you have like more time to actually focus on doing things that you're actually really good at versus the stuff you have to do, man, that's when business starts to, in my opinion, really get fun. I mean, I became an entrepreneur to do that part of it and didn't realize there's all this other stuff that I could, you know, bring in by some of my habits that I had as a leader. Right. And I think today there's the convergence of, you know, everyone wants to win at work and win at life. I mean, I think that mm -hmm. the younger folks come in with that, like you mentioned, it's, it's sort of baked into the cake, but I think, you know, folks with 20, 25, 30 years, they want to live at life, win at life too. And I think, you know, the coaching is one way to make sure that we can keep priorities and be able to sort of do the things that we need to do in our business to allow us to live that life and, and to run our business efficiently. Yeah. Well, you know, if anybody out there has any questions, I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody, answer any questions, uh, talk to you about, you know, some great books I'd even recommend if you want to do this on your own or just start to kind of change and, and get some different outcomes that are more enjoyable for everybody. So, right. So how can folks get in touch with you and, you know, also share about your podcast? Oh, sure. Well, uh, the, my best is probably my email. It's jramstead, so J-R-A-M-S-T-E-A-D, at beyondinfluence.com. So, Beyond Influence is our company. Our podcast is called Eternal Leadership, and you can look it up on iHeartRadio and, and iTunes and everybody. The podcast is all about how to bring your faith into the workplace. How do you actually be a leader that is really operating from a place of, I think, just greatness. And I think that's within all of us. And I think as men and women out there, that the marketplace is such a transformative place. We could actually, all this stuff that we see going on in the world, racism, poverty, education, business, I mean, all these different issues, right, can be solved by business getting involved in their communities. And that is what we want to do is be a catalyst to help uh, organizations be great and then their people through that greatness bring that out into their communities that they're passionate about so that is what the podcast is all about we'd love to have people join in listen subscribe and if there's anything I can do uh, to help you and if I'm not the right fit I have just a great network of people in this whole space I'd love to connect you to somebody that would really maybe be a better you know just a great conversation for you to have Right. And about the podcast, I mean, that's how we met. I mean, I yep. was a, a huge fan of you and the podcast as I worked through my transformation from one career into the other, trying to figure out how I can move from an organization that we have in common in halftime, move from success to significance and really make that impact on the world, make that impact on the people in my life and the people that I work with. So, you know, I am a huge fan and, you know, I'm grateful in many ways, including becoming friends, you know, through that process. Yeah, and it was so cool, everybody listening, uh, Peter and I had only, for years, only talked on the phone, done Zoom calls, and then you were coming through Denver, you're like, hey, John, I'm going to be in Denver on a layover, so I went out to the airport, and we got to hang out for a little bit at the Denver airport, first time we'd met in person, and that was really cool, man, I, uh, we need to do that again soon, my friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, well, thank you again. And I really appreciate your time and I appreciate every time that we get together. Yeah, me too, man. Keep knocking on live out there, Peter. And I uh, love the work you're doing. It is needed. And I'm so glad you're just bringing your whole world, your life, all your experiences out into being that catalyst and other 
businesses and other lives to just get to that next level. I think that's awesome. All right. Thank you. Take care. Yeah.